Hi, this is Liz Tinkham, and welcome to Third Act, a podcast about people embracing the third act of their lives with a new sense of purpose and direction. The third act begins when your script ends, but your show's not finished. Hi, and welcome to Third Act. Today, I talk with Eva Nahari, the queen of garbage collection. Eva developed her love for computer science after a strange encounter with a creepy guy on the subway platform in her native home of Stockholm, Sweden. She graduated during the post-dot-com bubble and had a tough time finding a job until she described a way to clean up garbage Java code to a prospective employer. That first job at a subsidiary of BEA Systems launched a two-decade career solving difficult problems across a variety of Silicon Valley tech companies as a top product manager. But eventually her career plateaued and she got stuck, unable to figure out how to get to the next level and increasingly more angry with her inability to solve the problem. Fortunately, a good friend introduced her to an older and wiser career coach who taught her how to allow herself to exist in an uncomfortable state with no plan and no immediate problem to solve. She told Eva that this state would allow her to be open to the most possibilities and lo and behold, it worked. Today, Eva is applying her problem-solving skills as a principal at DNX Ventures, a Tokyo and Silicon Valley VC firm, where she continues her love of software development as an investor in early-stage technology companies. Eva, welcome and thanks for joining Third Act. Where do I find you today? Well, I'm actually in Mountain View in my home, in my son's room. So I'm surrounded by all these wonderful, cheerful art and and toys. Why in your son's room? Is that your best podcast room? Yes. <laughs> okay. <laughs> but it's very warming. It's it's heartwarming and and creative in here. So that's a good good spot. Oh well, well good. Well, I'm thrilled to have you on the show, and I want to really get into it because you have a great first act story, um, which includes a creepy guy. So <laughs> can't wait to hear it. So you're Swedish. Started college as an electrical engineering major. Why, why electrical engineering? What were you thinking? I had applied for it or like I had the paperwork done and it was more like I didn't know what I wanted to be when I grew up. And I, I feel like college students I talk to today is very much in the same boat. Like I have to make a life choice and I don't know what to do. What do I like? I don't even know what to apply for. And I was in that boat and you know, I looked at my sister who went to electrical engineering the year before me, and I'm like, yeah, why not? At least I can borrow her books. <laughs> Keep the <laughs> Save some money. down. Uh, so it was very random. Uh, my dad is also an engineer, but I never really n- knew what that was, I guess. It was hard to understand. And, you know, in, in school, I had interest of both arts and language. And I thought I was going to be a writer one day. That was my interest more on the creative and art side. But I also had interest in math and chemistry, but in the end, electrical engineering, because why not? Why not? There was your sister. I mean, it's interesting that two girls from the same family go into engineering. That's really great. But then you were telling me that this creepy guy follows you, which leads to a change from electrical engineering to computer science. So please unwind that story for us. I was, I guess I was in like 18, I must have been 18, 19, because I was out in Stockholm, where I'm born and raised. You're allowed to be out in the bars when you're 18. 
So I had just been with some friends. I was on my way home. You only go by subway in Stockholm. You don't need anything else. So I was in the subway station. Uh, it must have been after midnight. I, I felt this guy, not really a normal guy, following me. And I moved away. And he came after. I moved away. He came after. And I'm like, okay, I'm just starting to creep me out. So I went and stood next to this decent looking gentleman with like a suit and a briefcase and like, okay. He was in the subway too after midnight. <laughs> he was a safer bet than the creepy guy. You know, it could have been wrong. <laughs> it could have been wrong. But, but I'm, I made my risk assessment and I'm like, I'm going to just stand next to this guy. And that guy's like, hey, that guy is following you. You can stay here if you want and we can chat. I'm like, thank you. Yes, they could have worked together. Who knows? But, you know, you have to make your bet sometimes. And I started talking to this gentleman and he was very nice. And we entered the same subway cart. And turns out he was an electrical engineer, you know, graduated and working. And we talked about that. And he said, you know, if I were to choose today, like you are, I would go into computer science. That's the future. I would do that 100%. I came home around 1 a.m., 2 a.m., and I changed my application to computer science. <laughs> and then I sent it in. Oh my gosh, that's so funny. And of course, he never knew, right? Because that was, you never saw him again? No, but thank you if you're listening. <laughs> yeah, thank you. Thank you. If you know who you are, the non-creepy guy. So how did you end up getting your first job then in computer science? Well, that was interesting. So fast forward four and a half, five years, I was looking for my master thesis job. And I, I had a lot of options in the spring of 2001. And I had signed up for a job. I was going to simulate pacemakers. That was what I was going to do. Was this going to be in Sweden somewhere? Yeah. Uh, and then I went on a trip with my friends. We had saved up, we had worked and saved up for money to go around the world and visit different interesting places, New York, San Francisco, Silicon Valley, Tokyo, and then back to Stockholm. And then when I came back, the IT bubble had happened. The crash had happened. All jobs were gone. And I'm like, okay, I still have my master thesis project. I don't have any money left. I was counting on that first salary. But I had to go through every connection I've ever made during my university years. Uh, I had collected all these business cards from job fairs and guest speakers and, you know, any connection. Because everybody encouraged me to connect, like take every connection you can during college. And I did that. Lucky me. And and thankfully you saved all the cards too. Yes, I did. Like why? That must have been universe or something. So I had about a hundred or more that I just went through and emailed and most of them bounced, like all the companies had gone, right? And then there were some that like, yeah, we might take you in, but we can't pay you. And I'm like, I had rent to pay. I needed food. And I didn't want to run back to dad and kind of ask for a loan or anything. So I'm like, I, I got to figure this out. This is real life. And then I was down to two cards. And one of them was a friend from the choir at, at uh, Royal Institute of Technology where I went. And okay, but he works at this company that only recruits the best of the best every year. And I'm like mediocre. <laughs> well, I'm, not, I'm not that guy or gal. Like there was no gals in that category in computer science. But yeah, I was not. I was a mediocre. And I'm like, I'm just going to email this guy and see maybe he knows of someone else who's who looks for a 
you know, master thesis projects person. And I emailed him and like, Hey, I'm not really asking you, but do you have another position? I knew that I filled one already with the best guy. And I'm like, maybe they have one more, but I'm not sure I want to work with a Java virtual machine. It's like, what is that? It's something super techie geeky. I was going to change the world with machine learning and, you know, simulate pacemakers and help lives, you know, that was my, my drive. And here's like a JVM, a little component that translates software Java language to like assembler instructions and the operating. I mean, it's so low level, nobody knows what that is. And I'm like, I don't really want to work with that. And then he responds as like, you have an interview on Monday. Oh (laughs) my goodness. I didn't want one. (laughs) So I, I go to this office dressed like me, which is a skirt and, you know, a little cute top and, I don't know if I wore high heels, but you know, that's me. And I meet all these like jeans and t-shirt guys, all guys, everywhere guys. And like, I'm, I'm just feeling how wrong I am just by being dressed wrong. I should have shown up in jeans and t-shirt. You know, I was just not a fit. And I sit there super nervous and all the founders interview me across the table at the same time. That was intimidating in itself. And they're like, we have this project and this project. And then I hear myself, you see, they don't hire anyone unless they come up with their own idea. That's the rumor they have. So the night before I had basically almost cried and tear my hair out. You know, I had to come up with an idea of my own. Right. And I looked into old notes from guests speaking from the company and I realized, okay, I want to do machine learning and they're doing a Java virtual machine. How the heck can I combine the two? And I came up with this crazy idea of teaching the memory management system of when to free up memory without impacting anything running on that Java virtual machine. So it was like a learning garbage collector. That's what it's called. Yeah, yeah, <laughs> the learning garbage collector. I love that. <laughs> yeah, I'm like the queen of garbage collection. Anyway, so I sit there and I hear these projects proposed to me and then I hear myself like, but I have my own idea. I can teach a garbage collector a memory system. When is the best time to clean up the memory without interrupting the running applications? And they're like, you can do that? I'm like, yeah, yes, 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 you can do that. I had no idea. (laughs) But that was what I had come up with in my pain and panic of like, I have to find something that motivates me to join this company (laughs) that it's a Java virtual machine. And like, I got hired. That's. Did you end up building it for them? Yes. And I got two patents on it too. Oh my gosh. Well, you know, I think there's such a great lesson to be learned for people who are listening, who might be a little younger, who are in their careers in terms of one, keep all the contacts that you ever meet and make sure you store them either your virtual card, you know, contacts or in your, if you still have cards and keep in contact, which I always tell my adult kids, you know, stay up with LinkedIn with people. And two, you know, sometimes your ideas, there's no stupid ideas in a lot of ways, right? I want to echo that and say like, every time when life has gone the right way for me, it's not always gone the right way, right? Is when I bring myself to the table. In this moment, It was like, I came in my 
sorry for bringing out the fashion thing. I know it's oh no no I think it's fair. Yeah. Typical women and stuff, but like I came up in a skirt, being me, and I didn't let my fear hold me back of like okay I just pick one of their projects because my project is not good enough. You know there was not being held back by fear that what I bring to the table is not good enough. What I bring to the table is not of value. And I think many women that I've been mentoring is thinking they have to adapt to what all these other brilliant people are thinking. But in the end, we're all unique and bring us to the table. That's the value. Brilliant ideas come by bringing different people together. And I think that's what I mean. Like in this moment, I spoke up and as the worst came out, my fear started regretting that choice, but I still did it. I brought me, my creativity to the table in my form that like, okay, I'm just going to do this because if I don't do it, I, I will never know if I can do it. So let's fast forward because now you've been, you you ended up coming to the U.S., and you've had you have some serious computer science chops working as product managers in several companies like Oracle and Azul and Cloudera. I mean, what were you thinking your career path would be? From graduating college, I thought it would become some kind of engineering manager. That turned out not to be the best fit for me. I tried it for a while, but I realized I I want to solve bigger business complex problems than spending most of my time motivating people why they should, you know, grow in their career. So I didn't really think, I think I said yes to opportunity when it came my way. And maybe I had one step inside, like, okay, from, from team lead, I knew I wanted to become engineering manager, you know, and from working as a customer advocate, aggregating input from many, many customers to product managers, I knew I wanted to become a product manager. You know, I, I never really thought the full path. And I, I realized that many of my male mentors and male colleagues always had this end goal and they had thought up every step of the way there. That's not my cup of tea. I rather want to pick the next thing that scares me a little because then I know I grow. And if I follow my growth interests and my heart, what really intrigues me and scares me at the same time, it somehow have landed me in more interesting context and given me more opportunity. And I've never regretted that compass. Although I know most of the world have some kind of plan that first I'm going to do this, then I'm going to get to the next level, then I'm going to be VP, then I'm going to start my own company. I didn't really think that way. So second piece of great advice is, is follow your your interests and your where you think you're going to grow the most. And I think I, I play back on that note of like, go where you're a little bit scared. Go where you're a little bit scared. I like that. Don't let your fears hold you back, you know? Oh, so many people are going to have a hard time with that, but that's great <laughs> advice. So you're, you're a woman product manager in Silicon Valley, you know, during a period where there was probably few and far between. Wh what was that like? And any advice uh, to our female listeners who might be product managers on, uh, aside from, you know, take on a little fear, go where you're most interested, what else would you say and how to navigate a good career through that? 
so I think there's like two chapters you need to go through. And this is speaking from subjective experience. <laughs> like I, I'm not everybody else. I can only talk about me. I had to go through two chapters. And the first chapter was working hard, learning from people better than me, trying to find mentors and really struggle through the hard parts where you, you know, work on your your not so good sides and grow up a bit. Growing with responsibility and all that, like just do your job well and and learn as much as you can. And then that will take you part of the way and like always be respectful to people. And if someone is really strong technically, then what value can you bring to the table? So you, you kind of respect and utilize the talents around you for the like optimize for the best value of your time, right? I'm very technical, but I worked with very, very technical people. So I focused on the customer. And when I worked with other people that as organizations grew that were really good at the customer side, maybe I worked on the strategy or how to enable sales because then sales can do more, right? So be flexible in what you focus on, but always do impact, enable impact. But... I'm derailing because the most important part is the second chapter. And that's when you hit that, maybe it's what people call the glass ceiling. But this is my journey and my realization. I worked on, let's call it a square shape. The way I, I saw my ladder up in product management, like director, senior director, VP, I looked at the ones before me that weren't many women. So I tried to mimic the ones before me, right? the ones who've gone all the way. And I became a better and better square, the shape I was watching, right? And then I got stuck. There was years and years and years where I didn't feel like, no matter how hard I work, I don't get further. What's wrong? I'm doing everything they ask. And then the next performance evaluation, like, you're not doing enough with customers. Okay, then I focus on customers. And then like, okay, you're not technical enough. Then I focus on technology and innovation. Oh, then you're not, you know, strategic enough. Like I was never enough. I could do all of it. And in the end, I was so mad. I'm like, I've done this. I've done this. Show my entire record. And I was so mad. It was still not enough. Then I got a kid. I took a little time off. And I came back and I was so mad still. <laughs> <laughs> I've, so been, I've done that before. <laughs> <laughs> I took a coat. I you know I, that I mad feeling, yes. <laughs> exactly. I, I couldn't get out of being mad. So how'd you get out of it? Uh, I took a coach. Your coach was 74, is that correct? Yes. Okay, how'd you find this coach? So I, my husband introduced me to female VC uh, many years ago. and. He's like, you should meet this gal. She's amazing. I think she can inspire, inspire you. We met once and we realized like, oh my gosh, we're the, we're the gasoline on the fire for each other. <laughs> she scared the heck out of me. And apparently I scared the heck out of her in a good way. So she's like, I can't meet you again until I met all these girls. <laughs> it's, like, it's intense. She, uh, six months later, I needed her help. On something. And then we got to talking and she's like, you need to meet my mentor. So she introduced me to her mentor, which is this fantastic 70 plus year old lady in 
New Hampshire or somewhere there on the East Coast. And she has like four kids, but she chose career back in the day. Wow. That was the day too, because that would have been in the 70s, which would have been really hard. It was really hard. And she inspired me. She has written this book, Being in a Transition. Yeah, we'll put it in the show notes. That'd be great. Yeah. But she helped untangle me because I was stuck. I was so in my own thought patterns. I couldn't, I couldn't get out of my own thought loops. And that's, that's my recommendation to any listener. If you're stuck in, if you feel like you're stuck in a pattern or a thought loop and you can't get out, that's when you need a coach. Yeah, I think I agree. Somebody who's going to come at you kind of sideways, right? And kind of yes. kick you out of it. How did she get you out? Like, what advice did she end up giving you? She taught me how to stay in unclear direction state and stay with it and let it. I talk about being on comfort zone, like some kind of thing that's easy for me. It's not. And something very uncomfortable for me is to not know where I'm going and not feel what I want to do, like not being connected to what I want. That's a very uncomfortable spot for me. And she taught me to stay in that. You're open in that state. You're actually open to anything and everything. And that's overwhelming, but the answer will come. And you just have to trust that. Are you still working? Yep. Yeah, full time. You're at Cloudera at this point? Mm -hmm. I'm a toddler mom. Uh, My husband has a startup and I'm full-time executive at Cloudera. Yeah, and but you're in your sort of uncomfortable, mad state and your 74-year-old coach is helping you untangle all of it. Yes. Now, where does she get you to? So, because I think I would be in the same state. Like I remember in my early 40s, I got into the same position where I got, I had a bad project. I got so mad because I got screwed, right? And it happens in work. And then I stayed mad for probably two years. That was a very unproductive time. And then I missed out on some opportunities because I was so mad and I wasn't open to anything. So I needed this. Where was that 74-year-old? <laughs> she was probably in her 60s <laughs> at that point, but anyway. <laughs> so how'd she get, so you got comfortable in an uncomfortable state. What else? So she taught me three things. In addition to like, stay with it. It's a process. You'll get there. Just don't be impatient. One is if you actually go, let's say you feel your week is overwhelming. It's like, I don't have, I don't even have time for myself to figure out what I want. If you're in that state, understand that energy is like money you invest. It's not like a fixed amount, actually. And she taught me this very late in life. I, I, thought like what you put in, you, you have one bucket of eight hours a day of energy and then you distribute that and then you're done. <laughs> but actually, if one of those hours are spent on something that brings you joy or f- fuels you or make you feel like you strive, like a thrive, then you suddenly get like two or three hours back of energy. So the more either within your workspace You can carve out little moments of joy and like, okay, what do you like, Eva? In my case, I actually like to talk to people and hear what they're struggling with and maybe help. Like, that's me. And she's like, why don't you try to do that a little bit more tomorrow? And then I'll work like a little bit more this week. And then like start small steps and just 
take a little bit time of your day to just sit down with someone, no agenda, just hear them and see if you can help them out. And that started to bring me so much joy back in my workday that I had energy for other things. It's a kind of an investment magic. Investing in what, what fuels you gives you 10x the return. So it helped to overcome probably the parts of your day that you were mad at things, right? Because yes. you were joyful about it. All right. Yes. So there's a one to X, one a force multiplier on things that bring you joy. Yeah. In your joy job. Okay. Second thing, she said, have you tried bringing yourself to the table? And that, that hit me really hard. Back to your authentic self. And what did she mean by that? I had strived so long for like at least 10 years now, we're talking, to get to the next level of product management, like in the form of a title or responsibility, it doesn't matter, but be recognized for it. I've gotten one promotion, but then hit my head, right? And she's like, just, they're not looking for excellent execution anymore. They know that. They know you can do that. They know you're creative. They know you can handle customers. They know blah, blah, blah. But have you tried to bring your thoughts to the table and not just see patterns, aggregate and execute like, like you're doing when you're in the director ranks, you, you kind of execute on other people's plans. And I was never asked or never allowed to do that. And she just planted the thought in my head. I was like, you know, I need to come up with something. I need to bring something to the table again. Back to the garbage collection. <laughs> Back to the garbage collection. And I'm like, perhaps not so much about innovation because that's that I've done all the time. Now it's about where is this company going? Where is the company suffering? Where can my innovation bring most impact to what Cloud, Cloudera at the time want to go? I kind of always thought about my universe and not the other ones. And I was doing things in a square way. And she said, she brought this shape terminology to me. And like, have you tried to be the circle you are? lately, because when that last step of executive comes up for discussion among the other executives, it's no longer about your skills. You've already proven that earlier on. So here's the secret. It's about who you are. Who are you? And I have never been allowed to be me in a way because I've been shaped to be a square and they wanted to see more of me. The third thing is it's okay to reevaluate what you used to work towards. It's okay to change path. And in the end, through her coaching, I came to a place where like, I don't, I don't care anymore. I don't care about Vipo product anymore. I'm not scared of it. It doesn't challenge me. I know I can get there now. That was the problem in the beginning that I was working so hard for something that I didn't really want anymore. Oh my gosh. You were this is such a great set of advice because I think people <laughs> spend their entire career chasing that. 
By the way, I, uh, the whole time you're talking, I'm thinking my 30-year-old daughter definitely needs to listen to this podcast <laughs> because she could so use your advice right now. And she's going to be so mad at me that I said that. But um, so, so you're open at this point. You're mm-hmm. thinking maybe I've been chasing this VP of product. That's not maybe what I want to do for the rest of my life. And then a VC recruiter calls you. So what happens then? There's two years between that, actually. So I get my promotion too. <laughs> but then I'm laughing when I'm getting it because I'm like, I don't even care about this. <laughs> but it's very fine. With my circle transformation, people started to see me differently. I also got a very, very good boss, Joy Deep Das. If you hear this, you've been the best boss I've ever worked for. He enabled me in the circle shape that I was. I was different and he just brought the best out of that. So amazing bosses can make magic happen too. Sometime after that, I didn't want to leave Joy Deep because I was learning under him. He was bringing the best out of me. He challenged me in the right way and like made me fly. So I didn't want to leave a good boss. So I stayed for a long time after that, two years, I think. But my coach had encouraged me to invest in things that interest me. So I had started angel investments. I'm like, this is a fun form of gambling Yeah, <laughs> with my own money, a little bit more money. I would money. totally agree with you. I do it to a fun form of gambling. Yeah. But I also get to work with really amazing people, the entrepreneurs, that these people are just so brave and a little bit crazy and a little bit fantastic. You know, it's just fueling me to be around entrepreneurs and help them. So I know I wanted to retire as a some sort of investor. And I started angel investing. I met with this uh, gentleman who showed up to be the part of Berkeley Angel Network, and he invited me to be part of that. I met him at the mingle party, and I'm like, hey, I heard you're an angel investor. I want to learn that. Can we have regular lunches? And he turned out to be a great coach for angel investment. And... Two years later, I get a recruiting <laughs> email from a VC. That doesn't really happen to pro- operational people very often. VCs go through network usually. And I wasn't connected that way. And I'm like, I, I have to take this recruiting call. I'm happy with my boss. I'm happy at Claudia at that point. I'm happy with my life. But I had to figure out like, okay, what's missing? If VC is my long-term plan, I need to figure out what is missing so I can pick that up over the next few years. Then I got the job <laughs> and I had a hard decision to make. About whether you leave Cloudera or not? Or whether I'm going to change my career right now or not. Yeah. Yeah. And how long have you been doing it now? Uh, since January. What do you think? Are you, are you getting over your fear? Oh, yes. I'm excited. I'm so happy. I mean, it, it feels like, you know, you have your favorite jacket. And you, you have it over years. And then then finally you try a new jacket and you're like, I can't remember why I like my previous jacket. <laughs> this fits so well. It's, yeah. it's awesome. I love it. And the team at DNX Ventures are just fantastic teachers and coaches and peers. And I just, they're so genuine and authentic um, that I feel like I just, I'm one of them. Eventually you said you want to be an investor sort of in your retirement. So this is sort of your pre-retirement. So the stepping stone to get there. I'm not going to retire anytime soon. It just happened a little bit early. (laughs) (laughs) 
So what, tell me a little bit about, you know, if, if I'm listening and I want to be a, a, go into VC, I mean, what makes for a good VC partner? Well, there are different flavors of VCs. So it's like asking a little bit about which flavor of ice cream, but for my flavor, I think you have to be a very curious and positive energy person because you can't be a downer ever in this early stage. You have to see what's possible. And then you have to have a very analytic and I would say structured critical mind to go through every possible angle that this can go wrong because it will go wrong. <laughs> and then and then you will see, do, do I think I can help if that happens? So a helping character, um, analytical mind, a futuristic mindset, and respectful. You know, you have to be, if it's not a fit, you have to respectfully save each other's time, respectfully say no, respectfully help them maybe with something before you part ways. But I think many, many VCs have a bad rep for, you know, when money comes into the picture, it's always a bit sleazy, but I feel, I feel that if you have good intentions and good heart and good, good goals and values, you can really help impact. You need to be very honest hearted and high integrity to be a good VC, especially with, you know, what's happening in the world today and uh, ESG and all the sustainability needs that we, we as VCs need to take much more responsibility on what we invest in. And I think that's like key for the future of investment too. Do you feel like you're bringing your, your circle to the business, to what you do now? I think my circle has expanded in this role. Yeah. I almost named this podcast, I'm Not Done Yet, because I feel like <laughs> I'm not done yet. So what aren't you done with yet? I'm not done with my VC journey, for sure. I just started. So I have at least 10 years to see if I'm any good at it, because that's the return time of investments I make today is at least 10 years out. So we don't know yet. But uh, I'm not done yet with exploring new chapters of my life. I know I still want to be that writer. Okay, we are going to have to come back on your fourth act and tell us about that. Yeah, I will. One day I will write um, many books, I think, but maybe that's my new retirement plan. <laughs> Who knows? <laughs> <laughs> okay. Well, Eva, it's been great talking to you and so many valuable lessons. Where can our listeners find you online? Ooh, you can find me on LinkedIn. But LinkedIn, also- okay. And you write a blog. I also just blog on Substack. Right. It's called Eva's View, both about what I'm observing as trends or where organizations need help forward. Meaning, you know, if you're an entrepreneur innovating in that space, uh, you can see blog about it. Contact me. I'm looking. And then I also blog about product experience, like go to market experience, because that's what I lived in my previous life. So we will publish that in the show notes and uh, more from there. But thank you so much for being on the show and have a wonderful holiday. It was a wonderful time spent with you this morning. So thank you so much. Thanks for joining me today to listen to the Third Act Podcast. You can find show notes, guest bios, and more at thirdactpodcast.com. 
If you enjoyed our show today, please subscribe and write a review on your favorite podcast platform. I'm your host, Liz Tinkham. I'll be back next week with another guest who's found new meaning and fulfillment in the third act of their life.